I remember Christmases back when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s. My father was custodian at the school in town, and he would bring home a Christmas tree uh, the last day of school before Christmas break. And the lights that we had for our tree were ancient. Uh, these were the ones that if one light went out, they all went out, and then you had to keep checking and trying to figure out which one had burned out. Uh, we had a couple of these bulbs that, that screwed in that, um, they looked kind of like a thermometer or something, I guess, that they had water or some liquid in there. And when they got hot enough, they would just kind of bubble. It was weird. Uh, the tinsel that we put on the tree was not aluminum. And you had to be careful because it would break. And it's something that you used year after year. Uh, sometimes some of the pieces got to be rather short because they would break. Uh, the wrapping paper, uh, it got used year after year. Uh, you had to be very careful when you would uh, open your gifts that you didn't rip the paper and would save the tags, of course. Um, something that I got every year for Christmas was socks and underwear. Uh, you know, I, I knew in one of those few packages that's what would be in there. Uh, our stockings would get maybe an orange and a candy cane and some pencils. And my grandmother, every year, would uh, give us each uh, this thing that looked like a book that had uh, packages of lifesavers in it. Maybe you're old enough to remember that. Uh, ribbon candy. I saw ribbon candy the other day someplace, and I told my wife, I said, I can't remember the last time I had seen that. Then they had these hard candies that were different colors, and they were filled with some kind of fruity stuff. Man, they were nasty. Because um, we leave out milk and cookies for Santa. I don't remember ever writing a Christmas letter. Um my father's gift giving or gift purchasing would happen on Christmas Eve when he would go to the local hardware store and uh, they always had a few toys of some kind and so that's where we were gonna get our gift from. Uh, always went up the road to my grandmother's house. Uh, it wasn't over the river and through the woods. It was just down Route 20 a little bit. Uh, but those were the good old days. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were certainly a lot simpler than what Christmas has become now. But that was it. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that a time is set aside to celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior. And Lord, I just pray that Jesus won't get lost in the, the gifts and the food and the everything else that we've made part of what we call Christmas. Um, Lord, uh, let us take the opportunity that we have to um, tell people the real reason for the season, that it's Jesus Christ, that it's nothing else that we have added. And so, Father, just uh, be with us as this message comes to me and uh, goes out to anybody that wants to listen. And Father, I just pray that they'll be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we have entered the Advent season, and some 
people would ask, well, what's that all about? I really don't know what Advent. I've heard that, but, uh, well, if you grew up or a part of a church or denomination that celebrates Advent, you know all about it. Well, maybe not. Um, but at least you know that it happens every year. You know, usually the Sundays in December. But if you haven't grown up in that tradition, you may have many questions. Uh, I used to meet with two pastors for prayer every Wednesday morning. And the one, Pat, uh, he was a pastor of the, the local community church. And Mark, he was a pastor in uh, the Baptist church. And Pat was familiar with what Advent was because he had grown up in the Catholic church. Um, but at the church where he was serving, they didn't celebrate Advent. Uh, a lot of people from that church, I'm sure, had no idea what it was. And the Baptist church where Mark was, they had no idea. He had no idea of what Advent was. And that's fine. Uh, Advent began back in the early centuries of Christianity. And here's a definition that I found. It says, Advent is a period of spiritual preparation in which many Christians make themselves ready for the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrating Advent typically involves a season of prayer, fasting, and repentance, followed by anticipation, hope, and joy. Uh, I'm not sure how much fasting and repentance is emphasized uh, along with this. Um, for most churches, uh, in the churches that I served, anyways, there was always a Advent wreath. And that was just kind of the extent of what Advent was. Uh, it was this wreath that had five candles, uh, four on the outside, one in the center. And so I found out what the normal uh, meaning was of the, the candles. Uh, the first one was, would be purple, and that would represent hope. The, the second one would be purple also, and that represented faith. The third one was pink or rose-colored, and that was joy. The fourth was purple, which represented peace. And the white candle in the center was a Christ candle. Now, what would happen in churches where I'm familiar with, uh, each Sunday a different family would go up and light a candle. So if you were there for the first Sunday, you would light one of the purple candles. And then the second Sunday, uh, you would light last week's purple candle and this week's candle. And so on, you would light the all of the candles. And then the fifth candle, that you would light that usually at a Christmas Eve service or Christmas morning, uh, Christmas day sometime, if you had services on that day. But as we move through Advent, we hear or read the Christmas story uh, frequently. And we find that uh, there's a lot of songs, Christmas songs, some new, some uh, Bing Crosby and Gene Autry and Burl Ives uh, and cards, you know, people 
probably one of the few times in a year that uh, people mail out much of anything. Uh, and movies. Oh, there's always lots of Christmas movies. Um, there's two or three new ones this year. Uh, we went to see one, The Journey to Bethlehem. Very good movie. Uh, and then, of course, there's messages. You know, as a pastor, you were expected to give a message uh, relating to Christmas uh, all throughout the Advent season. Well, during Christmas season, we also see many different kinds of manger scenes or nativities or stables or what, you know, we have come up with that we think that that's maybe what Mary and Joseph uh, were in and when baby Jesus was born into. Well, some of these that we see are really pretty ornate. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that they had stables very fancy back at that time. Uh, but, you know, in your manger scene, uh, there would sometimes be shepherds and sheep and, you know, maybe a donkey and some hay and, and of course, the manger. And uh, some of them have the wise men that do not belong there. Uh, that's another message for another time. Uh, but let me share from Luke chapter 2. In verses 1 through 3, uh, Caesar wants to take a census. Okay, so everybody needs to get ready for that because uh, this is what verses 4 through 7 in Luke 2 tell us. It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, cloths, excuse me, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this is the only indication that Jesus was born in a stable of some kind. Well, the the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, Bethlehem was about 100 miles. Now, that's nothing for us. You know, I, I would think nothing of, you know, if I had to go for a, a meeting or a, a kid's soccer game or whatever, think nothing of hopping in the car and driving 100 miles. But try doing it on foot or on a donkey. You know, that 100 miles is about a five, six, seven day journey, especially for a woman that was rather pregnant. So I want to look at the stable, but first let's check out the manger. <coughs> uh, it was probably happened in some kind of stable. Uh, and this manger had straw in it, and it was dirty, and it was smelly. And, you know, we s see all of our mangers uh, that they're made out of pieces of wood, uh, which maybe was, and maybe not. But other places I've seen is where the manger was a, a large stone that had been kind of hollowed out. And it was used to hold the fodder for animals. 
And it goes on to say that a similar trough would be there to hold water. Now, many places I've seen the manger um, pictured as that stone that was carved out. But I've never seen that in any nativity scenes that, that people have or, or that we have. Uh, it's always that wooden structure of some kind. So let's look at the stable, okay? We know it's a place to keep animals, but there's no mention of any animals in the Bible. But uh, there's a good chance that there were some there. It's possible the stable was nothing like what we imagine. Uh, you know, not like the ones that, that we have. Uh, a stable could very well have been a cave or just a place that was hollowed out into a bank. And I know I've never seen that. I mean, I've looked on Amazon and they have hundreds of them, but there isn't one on there that is a cave. So, and if there was such a thing, I mean, Amazon would know, right? Well, let's look beyond this cable, or cable is stable in the manger. I want to look at things that Jesus would give us to make us be able to have a stable life. Now, in pre-Jesus, uh, very familiar, uh, the field outside of Bethlehem, and the shepherds were out there keeping watch over their flocks by night. <clears throat> Excuse me. And out of nowhere, an angel appears. Now, to the shepherds, that was just another night until this angel came along. Uh, and this is that the shepherds were terrified in most versions. The King James says that they were sore afraid. Uh, so the angel, angel tries to calm them down in Luke 2.10. Uh, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, the shepherds, they apparently are good with that because they believed what the angel told them. But Jesus talked of the joy that he would bring as well. John 15, uh, he's been talking with the disciples about his relationship with them. And then in John 15, 10 and 11, it says that if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, so Jesus is concerned about us having joy in our lives, okay? And he knew that the angel said that he was bringing joy, and so that's what he was doing. Um, and we will have abundant joy if we follow what Jesus tells us to do or not to do. And that joy is a gift from him to us. So flip the page to John 16, and Jesus has been talking about his leaving the disciples. And so they were obviously upset about this. 
Um, I mean, he had mentioned it before, but he seemed to be talking about it a lot more as time goes on. So he wants to comfort them. And verses 22 to 24, uh, in John, Jesus is trying to comfort them by saying this, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Okay, I'm not going to get into the asking and receiving thing today. Uh, but the joy comes from knowing Jesus, seeing him at work in our lives or in the lives of other people. That brings us joy. So it's like, you know, he says, you know, when you see me, you'll rejoice. And so we should be rejoicing when we get to see Jesus and the things that he's doing. It's kind of like, you know, Christmas is coming and, you know, you're maybe going to have dinner uh, at grandma's house and, you know, your, all your cousins are going to be there and your aunts and uncles and everybody. And, and so that brings you joy because a lot of those people are people that you don't see all the time. You know, that you only get to see them at maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, and so that brings joy getting to see those people. And that's the joy that Jesus gives us. Well, here's something else that Jesus gives us. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus has been talking about the unrepentant towns and, you know, the fate that they're going to meet. And they had just met with John the Baptist's disciples and they wanted to know, you know, hey, are you the guy or is there somebody else coming? And so Jesus knew that his disciples, that they had just, they had encountered a lot. So beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 11, uh, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. That's better than rest for your body. Because the rest that we receive for our souls, that's something that brings us closer to Jesus. Now, Jesus says, take my yoke. Now, if you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is something that was used to uh, help people carry a load, but it was also a yoke was used to uh, put two animals side by side that could pull a plow or pull a cart or whatever it was. And so taking the yoke with Jesus, that brings you very close to him. Okay, it draws you close to the Lord, which is what we all need to have in our lives. Well, let's go back to John <clears throat> chapter 14, where Jesus promises to give us the Holy Spirit, the teacher that I need, that we need. And this is what it says in verses 16 in the beginning of verse 17. 
Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. You know, that's that's a gift that just keeps on giving and giving. And I know that I certainly need that. So if you move down the page a little bit to John 14, 26 and 7, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Okay, so here comes what the gift is. It says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The world's peace. You know, we got to admit, it's just not very peaceful. Just force yourself to watch the evening news. Uh, you know, especially the national news. Uh, it's not very comforting or refreshing. But that's what Jesus gives us. That's the peace that he gives us. Jesus also gave us love and friendship. In John 15, beginning in verse 12, says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. So taking what Jesus gives us, joy, rest, the Holy Spirit, friendship, love, peace, what more would we need to have a stable life? Nothing. Jesus gives us all that we need. So let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that we have the opportunity to have a relationship and Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that are living in that relationship that know what it means to have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Lord, we too can get caught up in all of the, the frenzy of the Christmas season. And Lord, make everything uh, take priority over the thing and that is your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to focus on the real reason for the season. You know, it's okay to have all the gifts and the food and the fun and, and everything, but let us remember that uh, Jesus is what we need to get out of this season. Lord, I, I lift up those that don't know you because the greatest gift that Jesus gave us and the most honest way to have a stable life is through the gift of salvation. Lord, I just give you thanks that your son came to earth giving himself and that he, he died on the cross for us, for our sins. He was without sin. And so, Lord, we need to admit that. You know, all of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and puts that burden on us, uh, we realize that Jesus is the most important part of our lives or can become the most important part. So, Father, if there's anyone that's listening that uh, has not begun that relationship, Lord, let today, right now, be the time that they do. 
And Lord, let them pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus coming to earth to be that Savior for me. Lord, just uh, continue to forgive me because I know that I'm going to keep falling down. But Lord, you're going to keep lifting me up. And so, Lord, let me give my life and my heart to Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.